Welcome to Tart's Camera Action, the podcast about comic book movies discussed by people who are not comic book movies. I am Owen Vandenberg. I'm Stephanie Catrias. I'm Kyle Show. And today we are welcoming someone to the club. Welcome to the club, Stephen Norrington. You made it. You made it to the big time, the two-timers club. The, wow. The Tights Camera Action two-timers club, the TCA TTC. <laughs> So what else did he do apart from? He did Blade, and that's that we did that in season one. Yes, so. and we were like, did you know he also did the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen? I and we also enjoy. Sit, and little did we know he would be yeah. a year later almost. Enjoy the cushy velvet couches of the Two Timers Club. It's only Brian Singer and you so far. <laughs> so. Hang on, has Brian Singer done too? Yeah, uh, Superman, Superman Returns. Oh, that's right. And X Men, which we have both done. So that's go true. hang out with Brian Singer on the couch, and we'll come and check in on your latest. Stephen Norrington, while we discuss League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Kyle, this was your choice. I feel like fault. people can probably guess when it's going to be your choice yeah. <laughs> these days. Looking See, there's at, becoming a pattern. They're here. always the worst ones. Why, why, why did you put us through this? It's actually, this one's very timely uh, because uh, there was a reboot of this franchise announced only last year, I think, yeah. or maybe even this year, but I know it's been talked about fairly recently. They want to do another League movie. Uh, and also, like a couple of years before that, they said that they wanted to do a League of Extraordinary Gentlemen television show. Uh, and I know you, you've also seen things like Penny Dreadful, and mm. I think there's another one where they're trying to do the same kind of concept. And Universal have got their movie monster universe that they're mm. trying to do. I so think, I think the one that's the other concept, which I think recently got cancelled, was didn't they do Sherlock Holmes and? someone else from another book uh, it was Holmes and oh no it, but it, it had the guy it had the guy from um, that funny guy from that show oh oh no it's right <laughs> <laughs> anyway it's like but, public domain characters that, it, it was yeah I know which, what you're talking but about but yeah I think it's enough, I'm sorry <laughs> obviously enough time has passed since uh, this movie was released in 2003 so I think the, the wounds have kind of healed for the audience, or at least the executives think, uh, think so, enough so that we'll be ready to... Our appetite will be built enough for another version of the League to come out. But. I think we're all just clamouring for the, the, the favourite characters like Dorian Gray and Mina yeah. Harker. To, like, I mean, I know these are fun in the book and in the comic book, but like, this is not a mass appeal concept. No. It never was. Victorian and literature doesn't really get the masses out yeah. going, does it? Yeah. Um, it's, it's a very niche appeal. And again, because uh, I think we're going to be talking a lot about Alan Moore in this episode because League is very much his baby. Yeah. And unlike some of his limited series like V for Vendetta and Watchmen, which are just sort of very much one and done, and he, he sort of makes this limited series and then sort of leaves it as a complete edition. With League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, it's one of the few ones that he just keeps building on and he keeps releasing more and more little volumes and expanded material and he's written a whole lot of prose for it as well. Like, he's so obviously just... Or he was so obviously into, like, building out this world through mm. different time periods that it's really quite interesting to see it just die on screen so horribly. are legendary. Their origins are unknown. Their methods are extreme. But when our future's at stake, they'll be the world's last hope. game is on. LXG, the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. This movie actually claimed a couple of scalps uh, because... The director of it, uh, Stephen Norrington, who, as uh, Owen and Steph mentioned, did Blade, uh, this was sort of like his last big movie, and it, it, he said that it soured him on directing big-budget movies, and Sean Connery, famously, it's his last 
live action role uh, in, in movies. I think he's done a couple of voiceover things, but nothing on the scale of his previous work, nothing on the scale of League. So every, it left just kind of a bad taste in everyone who worked on its mouth. It's kind of like one of those haunted movies where no one can kind of get out of its shadow. And Alan Moore himself, uh, not really related to League specifically, but he announced uh, earlier this year that he's not doing comic books anymore. So he's, re he's stepping aside. So it just seemed a good time to visit probably the best example of like a poor adaptation you could ever get. I mean, this adaptation was just miles from the source material to an extent that I don't think any comic book movie has come close to in terms of like the disparity between what was on the page yeah. and like what ended up on the screen. Uh, I've got a couple of funny Alan Moore quotes too because he eventually got used to his films getting turned into like <laughs> into adaptations that he just personally detested mm -hmm. because he'd sat through uh, V for Vendetta he hated, Watchmen he hated, uh, Constantine he hated, but League of Extraordinary Gentlemen was like the first big Alan Moore adaptation and he just he wasn't ready for it. He despised it. Uh, he came out saying that he was like spitting venom on it. He was like casting magic spells against it at one stage because <laughs> he, he's like a self-proclaimed wizard. Well, before you go on, do, do people know who Alan Moore is? Like, do, can mm. we give a bit of a background as to Alan Moore's sort of... Like, why, yeah. why, is he, why, why is he so significant in comic books? Well, his biggest claim to fame is Watchmen. Yeah. Uh, so Watchmen was the graphic novel that he did in the 1980s, which is kind of credited with being this huge transition point between comics as this kind of... Still a children's medium or... Children's or... and also floundering, like just kind of getting very repetitive and not breaking any new ground. And then he came along with Watchmen and he's credited with like maturing the genre and mm. elevating it and doing these, these sort of nuanced plot lines with these more realistic grounded characters that no one had really attempted and then from that you got like the dark knight returns and that whole era of like gritty comic books and is is so that's that's like his biggest sort of claim to fame but he's also done a whole lot of other comic books which are also really well regarded uh, miracle man he he did before watchmen uh he did uh league of extraordinary gentlemen um a lot of constantine a lot of swamp thing a lot of uh Oh, there was another one, uh, Tom Strong series, which which I really liked. It's a bit of a lesser known one, but he's just been like this staple name in the genre for like a few decades now. And he looks like the ma the mountain man from Borneo, right? He's the he's one. He's got a Rasputin got... kind of vibe to mm. him. He's kind of he just looks like he's crazy. He lives in he lives in like a shack in the mountains and just like mm. spews out this sort of very his work is very political, very postmodern. Um, plays with the ideas of texts mm. and me meta texts. Also has really like kind of quite dark undertones. Yeah. Doesn't exactly treat women particularly well in his comics. Not yeah. that not that many comic write book writers do but you know he, he certainly has um a bit of a reputation for being a bit curmudgeonly um, yeah. to say the least well it's, it's funny because he started off with a reputation as like uh, i guess kind of counter-establishment or anti-establishment because he came in and broke all of these sort of conventions about what you do in a comic book yeah. and now he's very much on the other side where people are saying you know sort of looking at him and Frank Miller and other sort of 80s comic book writers who came in with like the really ultra dark stories and saying well why does every single comic have to have like a rape subplot yeah. like why does everyone have to be like specifically weirdly anti-Thatcher and it's like <laughs> they're kind of now the old guard and yeah. they've become a parody of themselves yeah it's kind of the wheels turned a bit around on them uh, but on, on um, him being a bit of a weirdo, I think the, the producer of League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, after Alan Moore started railing against the movie, said that uh, Alan Moore is a hypocrite and a liar and an old man who smokes too much hash and prays to a lizard god. So, he's a divisive character. <laughs> Those Alan are Moore. not necessarily all negatives. Like, mm. you know. I, I mean, look, he's got a point with the lizard god thing. We can get yeah. into that. <laughs> I'm sure we will later. But, but, but yeah, he does sound a little... He smokes too much. What was that? Hash. Hash, yeah. right, right. Right, um, but yeah, so that's kind of like the meta background of League of Extraordinary uh, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Uh, and in terms of the comics itself themselves, I think they were only coming out. They were only starting to come out as the movie was being made, 
which is a lot of the reason why it bears no resemblance to the actual comic. Yeah. Uh, apart from the fact that it was obviously like bowdlerized and made very family friendly uh, mm. and defanged, which we'll get into. But yeah, the plot is completely different. It's basically just taking some of the characters and throwing them together in kind of like a uh, what do you call it? like an ensemble uh, yeah. kind of goofy action movie interesting that you say defanged when we know that one of the characters was actually fanged which in <laughs> yes. itself a defanging of the original concept mm, yeah a few layers there fang, fang layers yeah Alan Moore would love that yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I love the idea that Alan Moore is very upset that they didn't do their fanfic of his fanfic correctly. Yeah, well, that's the other thing. Like, he gets on his high horse a lot about how Hollywood just ruins his work by adapting it and how they're so unoriginal that they have to take his characters and his inventions when people have endlessly pointed out that his some of his biggest works are doing exactly that to, like, Victorian literature. Or Or even even Watchmen, which is in itself a a comment on existing... Comic book characters, mm. like he, he, the whole point of his, a lot of his writing, as I said, is very meta and postmodern, where he's commenting on media. So, mm. like, for him to say that, you know, it's, it, you know, everything's, uh, you know, unoriginal by, by being adaptations, it's like, well, you know, that's the, the kind of you've built your career on that yeah. concept. He's very precious, yeah. definitely. Yeah. Uh, but League of Extraordinary, uh, Extraordinary Gentlemen, I'm never going to be able to say that right. That's okay. Uh, but League of Extra- LXG. Yeah, I was going to say, the, the Fox marketing, marketing company have got, it, got you covered there. LXG. So LXG, uh, the original comics of it, despite Alan Moore being, you know, sometimes a bit cringy, uh, I actually really uh, got a kick out of them when I did read them when they came out. And I, I mean, they're, they're very hit and miss, mm. but there is something enjoyable about seeing this fully fleshed out world and Alan Moore is just, he obviously knows his stuff when it comes to like all of these uh, texts that he's pulling from. And it is kind of enjoyable to see like in volume two, the Martians from War of the World invade and then Mr. Hyde has to go fight them. And then they go to Dr. Moreau to make like biological warfare against Mm. the Martians and in a twist on the whole, they die of a common cold thing. And it's, you know, a lot of the plots actually, they're kind of, fun in that way yeah the original novel the original graphic novel is it's kind of cool yeah and he's he's subsequently done more and more of them uh and some of them yeah they're they're just like little nice stories like uh one i quite liked recently was uh was about captain nemo's daughter in the 1920s going to antarctica where she sort of gets involved with hp lovecraft in the mountains of madness (laughs) and meanwhile she's being tracked by a rival expedition led by or financed by Charles Foster Kane and it's just like it's kind of that thing of they're throwing everything in there but it's just so silly that it yeah it's very satisfying no it's a cool concept like this idea that we can take these characters from different literary worlds and put them together as like a superhero team mm. is kind of cool yeah it's just uh, handled so 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 badly yeah. and I guess there's that double layer of that I think um, you know like it's it's bad as an adaptation on the comic but it's also bad as an adaptation on the original text yeah like so these books were good then Alan Moore did something with these good books and then now this movie came along and sort of wrecked both of them which is kind of quite unusual well it, it treated the whole thing so light the movie did uh, mm. treat the whole thing so lightly and yeah. the one thing that was quite compelling about uh, League of Extraordinary Extraordinary Gentlemen, the comic, is that when he wrote these characters, he'd be writing them as they actually were, not as we want to remember them. So when he did his 1950s League and he introduced, like, Fleming's James Bond, it's not like Pierce Brosnan's James Bond. It's like James Bond as he was in those original novels, which is like this rapist, misogynist, kind of, like, horrible sociopath. Mm. And, I mean, I know we just criticised him for throwing rape in everything he does, but... When you're writing about those original mm. characters, yeah, a lot of them don't work today because yeah. they're actually like their values are just completely different yeah. than ours. And it's interesting to see that, yeah, represented like these people we just kind of think of as heroes of old, uh, just seeing them how they were actually painted at the time was kind of interesting. It was a good commentary on, you know, the, the values of the day and mm. the, the sort of books and heroes they had at that time. Whereas in the in the movie, like not only is everyone pretty much a traditional hero, but they also, like, speak, like, modern day. Mm. Like, there's a couple of phrases where, like, I don't know, like, 
I think we'll get we'll get to them when we get to them. But they they use very very contemporary yeah. colloquialisms, yeah. and it just pulls you out of it so much. Totally. So should we jump into yeah, talking about uh, the film after your thirteen should. minute soliloquy oh, as to why? Minutes, that's not so bad. <laughs> oh really? Because <laughs> <laughs> so um, we start the film in. You know what? I don't even bloody remember because the film has about halfway through. I started looking at my phone. Yeah. The time I don't. And there were lots of times where I sort of was watching it. I remember the the, the, the bit where they were in um, Venice. And I was sort of like, I don't actually know what's going on right now. I don't really know why they're doing what they're doing. I don't really care. But essentially, um, it starts off in, oh, the, in London and the Germans invade or something yeah, like that. The, yeah, the tank bank. The ta- now, was it, now, everything that we talk about, I'm going to ask this question. Was that a reference to something? Was that a literary reference to, like, uh, some I sort of... I think it was just a tank. Yeah. yeah. It's just, hey, we're leading up to World War One. What if we had a pretty advanced tank, uh, you know, 15 years earlier? Yeah. But it's... I don't know, with a lot of their super futuristic steampunk inventions, not only were they basically contemporary to the time, but yeah. it's like, yeah, tanks weren't around for another 15 years, but, yeah. like... People were aware of the concepts of like a metal, like yeah, rolling thing. It's like I they're suppose, all looking at it yeah. like it's a, a UFO or something. Yeah. But be- before the opening scene, just a little IMDb crazy credits, which yeah. is my new favorite section, which I think sets the tone. Uh, the crazy credits points out that uh, when the when Alan Moore's credit first appears on screen, it says. Uh, based on the comic book by Alan Moore, and then the text kind of suddenly like rearranges itself and swirls around and says, based on the graphic novel by Alan Moore. So it's like, oh, it's 2003, we're watching a serious adaptation now. Now wow. we can get into like an adult movie for, you know, mature, discerning audience members. But it's, yeah, the, so the opening scene is like this weird Bank of England, like, heist. Mm. It's 1899. Mm. Yeah, so just to give you a rough idea. But of is, like it, is it Bank of is it Bank of England or Bank of what did they say? Bank of Bank of England. They is said. that the right name? I think so. Yeah. Okay, if that sounds wrong, but like, is it Bank of the UK or England Bank? I know. It's an alternate universe, so okay. we expect little. I don't know. It just here sounds a bit wrong. Welcome to British Money House. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit of Church of England, but Bank of England. <laughs> So so anyway, they rob the Bank of England, um, and this weird guy, and then he like that he they they have like the Hindenburg, yeah, but like times twenty. Oh, that's that's not in the bank. Oh, that's yeah. later. That's the next I'm bit. sorry. They, they, they Th- go there are no Hindenburgs from, in the bank. Okay, so the bad guy turns up, attacks the Bank of England with, uh, and they're all speaking German to make it look like Germans have done it. Then they go to a Zeppelin factory in Germany, right. and they're all speaking English. And so then Germany and England are t- accusing each other via swirling newspapers that look like modern newspapers. Don't look like yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they don't look like periodicals. And it's like, world is at war. Yeah. yeah. So one thing I I was confused about in the the Zeppelin factory is the phantom who's like the big bad and Mm. he wears like this metal mask and he's got a scarred face and this big fur cloak uh he when he shoots down like the zeppelin he shoots it with like this spear gun grappling hook yeah it's like a rocket propelled grappling hook but originally like you see him fired up and you're like oh he's gonna like swing up there like batman but then it just explodes but it's like why did he use a grappling hook why does this movie even happen in the first place? <laughs> I don't know because we've all lost a bet with the devil, and now we have to sit through it. I don't. But don't what don't, if don't it ask why. Him towards the explosion, he like fired it off, and then that's why like, he drops it. You see him drop it before it hits, and he does like the cool. I'm gonna walk away before I even see. You know, before I even see what happens. But then, I know then it's, it's just walking like, away from explosion. But it's like when you when you press that button on the vacuum cleaner to retract the power cord, <laughs> and he's like walking away really cool as the zeppelin's exploding, and you see this like grappling kind of shifting across the ground it is, it is very like why up. would it even I don't know look what yeah let's, not, let's not ask it's odd. so Germany and England are like at each other's throats and the Europe is on like on the brink of a world war and they're all like a world war you know what it's ironic because I've actually heard apparently there were world wars later well, I mean, on you could arguably call the Napoleonic Wars pretty much a world thanks like, for stepping on my joke there but that's um, okay <laughs> we'll move on so basically then it cuts back to cuts to africa yeah now i'm gonna confess something i've read look i've read dracula i've read 
Um, the tale of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde and I've read um, like Huck Finn and all that sort of mm. stuff. So I've read a lot of these books, but I hadn't really, I don't really know who Alan Quatermain is. I don't know what book is that from? Like this character is not well known to me. Yeah, well, he's, he's very much like a pulp adventure hero from that time. Right. And he was in a series of books, kind of like an Indiana Jones of the 19th century. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the most famous one is... Um, King Solomon's Mind. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's like, yeah, Indiana Jones is probably the closest. Do we know who wrote the book? Uh, H. Ryder Haggard. Okay, never heard of him. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, that, that's part of the thing in the comics is that obviously, like, a lot of these characters uh, have endured in pop culture, like, you know, Dracula and Invisible Man. Yeah. Jekyll and Hyde, especially, like, yeah. they're just as well known. Yeah, Captain Nemo is pretty well known. Yeah. Uh, but. Uh, Alan Quatermain really did fall by the wayside yeah. and that's why like in the comics when they dig him up he's like elderly and shriveled he's an, he's an opium addict and oh. he's kind of fallen out of public view so was... Alan Moore picked that character because I, I don't know for sure but I think that part of I mean part of the, the comic is you know what has happened to the British hero mm. and it's sort of like what has happened to these British archetypes over time right, and right. Do they still have currency? And yeah, with Alan Quatermain, he's probably the the least recognisable to modern viewers. Yes. And in the movie, he's just like the lead and the protagonist, which is weird because he's the least well-known character. Whereas in the comics, they kind of make a make that part of it, where yeah. it's like he is forgotten by everyone and is like suffering and emaciated and addicted to opium. And it's kind of like, well, the British hero has really fallen on hard times and mm. now, you know, it's kind of shifted to America and Britain has kind of passed its golden age and all, yep. all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And they also do that thing where they never actually give a proper location. They just say that he's in Africa yeah. and they consistently refer to it as Africa won't let you die. You're yeah. a big fan of Africa. Yeah. Africa's not a country. No. It's and, a massive continent. And it's a it's a continent with many different cultures and types of types of lifestyles yeah. and 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 um, people there. So saying Africa is yeah, it's it's yeah. quite racist. That, yeah, like maybe they're doing like maybe that's faithful to the Alan Quartermain aspect perhaps, but it's coming it's two thousand three. So he does that he does represent that sort of yeah, big game hunter. Doctor Livingston, I presume, sort of uh, like adventurer back to the dark continent, like yeah. either like yeah. like either exploring the Far East or the yeah. New World or Africa, you know what I mean? These these lands that are foreign and col- and colonized. Yeah. Oh, and they even mention Australia as well, like that he's like this sort of pioneer yeah. for Britain across different lands, but just happens to be in Africa. Yeah. So he, um, yep. Yeah, so he's hanging out in, um, you know, this probably house built by slaves, um, and uh, and this British man comes to find him to recruit him mm. to be part of the Le- LXG, the League of Extraordinary mm. Gentlemen. And uh, then there's like a boring fight scene that happens. So the the enemies in this fight scene. Uh, yeah, actually, who are they? Then, then I think they're references to the fictional character Ned Kelly. I think that there's a lot of Ned Kellys in this movie. There's a lot of like, the that bad makes guys. Absolutely no the sense. The bad guys have like originally it's just like this metal plated armor. Yeah. And I was like, is that Ned Kelly? And you're like, well, maybe it's just like metal plates. And I was like, yeah, maybe I'm just reading into it. But then at the end, when they're like the stormtroopers, yeah. they're wearing like actual Ned he- Ned Kelly helmets. Yeah. And it's like, well, that's definitely Ned Kelly. Like, yeah, it was just it was just an odd. Thing maybe there's a really obvious reference that I'm missing, yeah, but I, I kind of I don't think so. I think rather than going for like this is a world of like 19th century pop culture with fictional characters, I think they're just going for like remember this olden timesy thing, like yeah. whether it's true or false yeah. or fiction or whatever. Well, like, it's kind is, of vaguely olden timesy. So it's like, this is like a an iconograph, like mm. like that look, that sort of helmet with the with the slit in it is mm. co- so, sort of. Even though, even if some viewers might not know who Ned Kelly is, they know what that looks, that look mm. thing is. So maybe that look thing, that image. Yeah, yeah it's just like old, oldie times. Yeah. So Steam, anyway, steampunk. He has that fight, and um, I don't really know. At the time, you're sort of like, who are these people? Like, you, you, mm. a lot of the movie, you find yourself sort of zone because it's so boring and so sort of just badly made mm. that you sort of, there's no energy to it and mm. so you find yourself watching it going like you, you sort of you zone out a little yeah. bit and then you sort of come back to the movie and you're like 
Who are these people? Like, what? Am, what's happening now? Are they fighting? Oh, okay. Everyone seems really bored. Yeah, all the time. like, and like you can kind of excuse Sean Connery for that, mm. but just it feels like everyone making the movie doesn't like give a shit. Deeply, deeply unpleasant presence on screen. He's very puffy in this movie. Well, I think he just in general, like everything I see him in, even back when he was younger, I just find him to be. There's something about him that does just look perennially pissed off yeah like i like he's perturbed what have you what why are you doing this to me i don't want to be Crotchety. here yeah. yeah but like even when he was young he looked like that and mm. and it just it's an energy i get from him and it's just it's not pleasant to look at and what like yeah. i'm just like i don't want to spend time with you you know what i mean i don't want to yeah. it's not like he's will smith who it's or someone like that who it's just like hey i'm yeah. cool and i'm a cool presence on the screen and i'm having fun like it's the opposite of that mm. it's like but yet he's this big movie star. I've never quite understood Strong Well, that's, that's no act in this movie because apparently he was like... But I don't think it's an act at all in any of his yeah. movies. I think that is who he is. But I mean, a bit of backstory to Connery in this movie is he apparently skipped on, I think it was like Lord of the Rings <laughs> and either Harry Potter or some other mega franchise. Yeah. He skipped on like two of them and because he, he just thought it was like... Stupid. Yeah, he just thought it was silly. He like didn't get it. I'm not and doing another Zardoz. <laughs> yeah, but then uh, LXG came around and he was like, "Well, you know, I've missed out on two like massive blockbusters." Yeah. This my agent says LXG is going to be the next huge thing, so he signed up for it. And then I think he was like almost immediately realized it was just going to be terrible. So him and the director were like at each other's throats. He like didn't get along with the actors. He wasn't like playing ball. He was, he was like apparently deeply unpleasant. Yeah. I, I wonder what, I mean, it's funny that he was so unhappy, but why, you know, why was the movie so bad? Why does a movie like some movies go well and some movies don't? What was it about this that was so difficult? I mean, obviously we can see on screen it didn't turn out very well, but yeah, the reports are that when they made it, it was really, really awful. And mm. I just wonder what, what exactly is bad about it like was it just the directors really not great or was it the combination of personalities it was like, just kind of i just think it was kind of lame like yeah. as you said you you were tuning out because there's just nothing to nothing to latch on to there's like nothing to kind of get into like i think if they had kept not all of the source material because i mean i don't think anyone needs to see mr hyde raping the invisible man to death which is what happens in the comics like i'm not saying go oh, full lxg <laughs> good I'm, good work alan yeah. good on you thanks for but that at least part of it like yeah, yeah why couldn't quartermain have been like a recovering dope fiend and yeah why couldn't like, mina be more bad well, why couldn't mina have been the leader yeah because yeah, yeah. she was the leader in the comics and yeah. then here she's just like female love interest yeah and i think it, it could have even benefited from and i think we had a similar conversation with suicide squad could have benefited from a cohesive recruitment montage rather than spending 10 minutes recruiting two characters spend like you know a couple of minutes on each like, yeah rather than they all just meet in a boardroom yeah like there's an office in the british government and nemo and invisible man and mina are just there. Yeah. And then we spent like 10 minutes recruiting Dorian Gray, 10 minutes meeting Alan Quartermain, and... And 10 minutes meeting um, Huck Finn. Yeah, Tom Sawyer. Oh, Tom Sawyer, sorry, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, it's like, it, I think it could have benefited from, from that. Like, yeah. I mean, the Invisible Man, or actually, as he is officially in this movie, an Invisible Man, because they didn't have the rights to the Invisible Man. <laughs> so he's just an Invisible Man. And he is probably... Uh, I couldn't stand him. Because it's like this... He's a gentleman thief, which means he has to be Cockney. Yeah. And he's just like... Hello, hello, governor, <laughs> but cheeky chop. And he's just... Uh, he's always just like... He's just like this cheeky little guy who's going around like... But getting he's got up a to heart, mischief. Yeah, getting up to mischief. Bit of a prankster, but he's got a heart of gold. And I can just... It would have been lame, but I can just imagine the recruitment scene for him where they like go to some hoity-toity opera and maybe it's like the Phantom of the Opera opera, but there's like all of these toffs kind of like watching it and then like you just see these like wallets and pocket watches being lifted and yeah. stolen and maybe like this lady goes like, 
oh, someone pinched me. And she slaps the old guy behind her and his monocle flies off and then you just hear the invisible man going, I'm so cheeky, I is. I would 100% believe that was written and probably storyboarded before getting cancelled. <laughs> just for just purely for running time purposes. They're like, we've got so much gold here, but we have to cut something. Yeah. We're going to have to lose the Invisible Man opera sequence. I'm so sorry. And then Nemo, instead of just like being in the background of that office scene the whole time where Sean Connery turns around and is like, oh, this guy's been standing there the whole time. Yeah. Like, Nemo should have been given... He was really getting short shrift in this movie. Him and Mina, I think, were probably treated the worst. It's funny you say that, though, because I agree he was given short shrift compared to the to compared to the graphic novel. But I kind of think, considering he's like a man of color in a sort of major Hollywood movie, like there was a part of me that was like, this guy's actually like he was an actor that no one really knew. He doesn't. No one in- America. In America, really new, yeah, and and Australia, mm. and like I don't know, he had he, Captain Nemo was pretty badass in this movie. Well, like I even though he was undersold, he still was a lot better than what you might normally see I, from a character like that. They did. T- I noticed this with him and Mina. I think they they overcompensated the other way. So with Nemo, like his big thing not just in the comics but in the actual like 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea is he hates the British Empire because he's like an Indian guy in the 19th century Yeah, and he's, he's I mean Sean Connery kind of calls him a pirate but that just, that's very apolitical like he was kind of like this guerrilla fighter using like really high tech equipment yeah. against like the British imperialism and I mean, just one line about how he's like... I mean, they should have treated him like Black Panther. Like, he's kind of an ally when his interests cross with them, but is not taking orders from the British government. He's yeah. just kind of going along with it. They treat him with respect, drops a line about, I hate the British. Instead, they're like, Nemo knows karate. Isn't that cool? And with Mina Murray, it's like, yeah, she doesn't get to be the leader. She goes back to her married name rather than her maiden name like she does in the comics. She doesn't... She has, like... You know, she she gets given really nothing to do in terms of, like, having a strong leadership role or character, but... She gets to be a vampire. And a chemist. So you see her with a little test tube doing chemist stuff, so, so like, oh, she's smart, Nemo knows karate, so they're good, strong characters. But I think that, to me, was just like, yeah, we know we kind of, like, cheated, so yeah. here's, here's a scene of them being, like... I don't know. I, I, I think Mina was definitely worse worse off than, than Nemo. But you're right. Like, it definitely... They, of course. Like, none of the characters were well-served. And all of them veered heavily from how we'd normally see them. I mean, the Invisible Man in the comics is, is introduced, like, sleeping his way through a, like, a... What, a nunnery or something like oh, that? It's like, it's it, like a Catholic girls' school and they investigate it because of reports of immaculate conception. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is about as subtle as Alan Moore gets. Yeah, yeah, Good yeah. Good job, Alan. Thanks for that. <laughs> Appreciate it. But I mean, is yeah, he's a scumbag in the comics. Yeah. He's not a he's not like a cheeky guy. He's just like he's a horrible, horrible person. Yeah, which and, he is in the in the books. Yeah. 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 So so they've been recruited. They they get recruited by M. Yeah. Is, this is the weird thing with like with, with it being M is that I I feel like that's partly is that sort of winking at the camera that it's Sean Connery and he's having a discussion with M and M's giving him a mission? And well, like, is it also Sean Connery loves to like flip the bird at the Bond franchise? <laughs> but is it also it's also like a sort of a red herring because I think what they're trying to say is yeah. like oh he's M from the James Bond universe, yeah. but in yeah. reality he's actually from another. And universe. most Americans probably think that like the head of British spy organizations are called M. <laughs> like, I wouldn't be surprised. Like, when you hear it, it just kind of sounds right after, like, 50 years of James Bond. Yeah, movies. they don't even know why they think it. I, I didn't mind the M thing, but in terms of winking at the camera, there's some doozies in this. Yes. My favourite one is... <laughs> so, uh, Sean Connery pulls up when he first pulls up at, like, the, the government sort of headquarters. Uh, the driver's like, ooh, we made good time. And it's like, not as good time as Phileas Fogg. Around the world in 18 days. <laughs> it's like, and then everyone just stares into the camera for 15 <laughs> seconds. There's straight. also a bit where he's like, they call him the Phantom. He goes, very operatic, operatic. But no one speaks like that anyway. Like they're all dropping these references. I think one of the worst ones is like when they're going to um, 
Dorian Gray's house and oh, yeah. Rodney Skinner's like Oh, oh, oh. Does Jack the Ripper live here? And it's like, at this, if it's 1899, that's like a reference that's over like 10 years old to mm. them. Yeah. Like, it's, it's just like. It's like it, us it, referencing Jeffrey Dahmer or something. Yeah, it's like, oh, does Joseph, does African warlord Joseph Coney live here? Like, <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, really contemporary. Uh, yeah, like the whole, the whole. You can tell when they're making a reference because the sentence is so forced, like that Phileas Fogg thing where they have yeah. to fit in the entire name of the novel. Otherwise, they're like, these fucking idiots aren't going to get what we're talking about. Has to be like, you can tell the first letters are all capitalized, like around the world in 80 days. But yeah, again, no one speaks like that. It's like, oh, wow, you made good time coming here. It's like, not as good as my Olympian Michael Phelps. Like, <laughs> 100 meter butterfly in 49.82 seconds. Like, good what a great reference. Good research there, guys. <laughs> yeah. Nice work. So anyway, they get sent on there. For, their first mission um, is to meet up with, is to recruit a couple more members. The first being Dorian Gray, who, mm. by the way, talking about veering from the comics, is not in the comics. He might be in some of the maybe, backup material, maybe. but I don't remember He's him not being, in the first like, one. in the actual... But you got to give Stuart Townsend a role. Yeah. Big, biggest star in Hollywood, Stuart Townsend. Oh, it's Stuart Townsend. Fresh off the Lord of the Rings movies, getting fired from him <laughs> for not being a very good Aragorn. Yeah. And then he went on to do LXG. And he also, before that, and, he oh, did yeah. Queen of the Damned. Queen of the Damned. Yeah, yeah. he's got a great, great oh, line of Stuart Well, Townsend. he's all right. He stays the same while LXG just keeps getting fucking shittier and shittier by the year, like his own portrait of Dorian Gray. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know. In terms of like veering from the source material, this is the only one. One that actively annoyed me because oh really this is what actively annoyed you because the rest you've been so calm mm-hmm. and and, and oh, happy. well you know the rest i can kind well no, the rest are pity but uh, in terms of like veering from the comics yeah whereas this is the one that annoys me veering from like the actual book right uh because the, the idea of dorian gray in the league you know that's that's kind of all right yeah. like okay. at least it's from the 19th century so at least they got that right and, you know, it's got a kind of interesting power set. They took a lot of liberties. But in this, it's just like, oh, a witch cast a spell on me. And if I look at the painting, then the magic is undone, which just misses the point so utterly. And it would have been so easy to actually do it right. Like, I don't want to look at the painting because it shows me how hideous I am underneath. Yeah. Like, at least that would have added some kind of shade to the character rather than it being like, just basically like a crucifix to a vampire but, or something. But they it's like, def- oh, I'm melting. But all, the, but all of these characters like have been taken to the extreme. So I kind of, I mean, like Tom Sawyer is like a, you know, like a, a, a secret, an action hero. From the American yeah. Secret Service. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the ass. Yeah, the, the ass. The ASS. But I think it's, it's just like, I don't know. Doesn't the Secret Service only protect the president? Isn't that their whole job? Yeah, he's kind of failing. <laughs> yeah, he's doing a really yeah, bad yeah, yeah, job. Unless the president's in the league. Oh, Who well, would the president yeah. want? Ulysses S. Grant or some shit? Like, yeah. I don't even know my American history. When was that? But, I don't know, but I'm not sure if Tom Sawyer would have been protecting the union leader of the <laughs> To be true States. to the literary character, wouldn't Tom Sawyer have to be constantly trying to get everyone else to do his job for him? <laughs> yeah. Just trying to get out of work <laughs> all the time? Tom Sawyer. Hey, he's Alan Quartermain, i got to paint this fence. It's so much fun. Why don't you help me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's just constantly, like, lying down, like, with a little straw hanging out of his yeah. mouth, like, yeah. just having a nice summer. Like, yeah. <laughs> He's tied a little raft onto the back yeah. of, the, of Nemo's uh, submarine. Yeah. Uh, even Venice, he should have been killing him. Instead of, <laughs> instead of taking the car, he should be like, Nemo, give me a wooden raft. And he'd be like, rafting up. Like, I did this once with my friend called Huckleberry Finn. Finn. <laughs> so, so they... And my other friend, who I'm not allowed to mention in this movie, <laughs> because it would be a, it's not a good thing to say. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. So they... they um, so they, they they recruit Dorian, but and they also then get attacked by the Ned Kellys again, and that's when Huck Finn, who's oh, so I keep calling Huck Finn, Tom Sawyer keeps um it, it, like intercepts with them as well, and that's when he meets him, and that's when the league is formed. Oh, I'm but, more, except I'm they're more. still looking yeah. for one. Uh. They've got to go to Paris. <laughs> And get... We're at 37 minutes oh. and the league is not formed yet. All right, we're going to skip it. The good thing is that there's not really a lot of plot. Yeah. So, yeah. We, you know, we, we are kind of covering... After, I can't stuff. remember anything no. after the league being formed and then the finale. So Well, the Venice thing happens, but yeah. we can oh, skip yeah. over that. But, yeah, so they, they then go to Paris to recruit... Uh, Mr. Hyde. Mr. Hyde and Dr. Jekyll. Mm. Um, and what did you think of... Okay, so... 
the Invisible Man um, uh, special effects. And Invisible Man special sorry, effects. Sorry, and Invisible Man. What was his name? Rodney Skinner's special <laughs> effects were actually kind of good. I liked like, them. I, I thought that looked pretty good. For 2003, I think they're fine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I thought the Invisible I, stuff was good. I honestly think the Invisible and Invisible Man special effects would be good today. Like, I, it never really broke my suspension in the way that the other And it was really did. cool how they did his face painting, sort yeah, of. That like, that, that worked really well. And, yeah, like, I didn't mind that. But the, um, the Mr. Hyde special effects were... I don't reckon it looks too bad. There For 2003, bits... I think it looks alright. You right. know what? I really like the transformation. Because yeah. I was fully expecting, with the movie going on how it was, a Hulk out, where he just goes like, whoa, and then like gradually gets bigger and bigger. Whereas the whole way they did it with like the flashes of light and then him just like growing these random tumours and then his hand will get way bigger and then it's like very painful and protracted. I, I thought that was pretty cool. Like almost like a werewolf. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, yeah. like, um, but yeah. it was just, it's very was unnatural the... and kind of like horrific. Yeah, this is the same year as uh, Ang Lee's Hulk. Right. Uh, well, oh yeah. Which, uh, so it's interesting to compare the effects because they're you know contemporary for mm. the, for each other. Um, I yeah, I don't think Mr. Hyde looks too bad. I reckon uh, there, fine. There was there were times I didn't think he looked too bad, and then there were times where I thought it, he looked really yeah. bad. Like I think it, the 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 bad guy, Mister Hyde, at oh, the end, the was, big purple guy, oh, looks awful, like really awful, terrible. Yeah. yeah, this movie is quite hit and miss with the special effects. Some some of it were some I, like I said, the Invisible Man and some of the some of the flying scenes, but then some of were okay. But then yeah, some of the sort of wide shots of these cities I thought were very looked very video yeah. gamey yeah. and anything yeah. with the sword coming out of uh, the the Nautilus coming up out of the ocean looks really bad because yeah. they hadn't really done CG water very well at especially, that point. especially when the like 500 metre tall Nautilus comes out of like a Venice canal yep. which is like 5 metres deep yeah. or whatever like something that gondoliers can reach yeah. with a stick yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah no it was pretty funny so they so why did they not have like a gondolier like sort of do a double take and then throw away a bottle of wine when he sees yeah. the Nautilus come up. Like, that's a no-brainer. Come on. <laughs> yeah, so they 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 get to... They, they capture Mr. Hyde. Um, I don't know. Then they get him on the Nautilus. They're all on the Nautilus. And then yeah. they get sent to Venice. I can't remember how they find out. Well, they re- I think... I don't remember how they find out, but they know that Venice is the next thing to be attacked. Because uh, it's like a... It's the whole sort of... Oh, all the world leaders the major are powers. in so like, this Oh, is, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, they're doing that. So a lot of plot elements from this show up in Sherlock Holmes' A Game of Shadows, which is also about someone trying to start a world war mm. but uh, so that they can make money off of it. Yeah, right. And they, they even have, like, the big climax is... is um, with Moriarty trying yeah. to get, get getting plans to assassinate a world leader in a room full of world leaders. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's it's weird though because it's like I, I just this is one of those movies where the like there are these big set pieces in these cities and just like you never quite catch why they're going anywhere. Like they, mm. there's like a scene in the ship where they obviously have some sort of we've received a telegram from mm. such and such and you know like I but thanks that's, Invisible Man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then it's like. We've got to go to Venice, and then they, and so yeah. then you sort of that. That's when you come back to the movie because you you zone out in those scenes because they're yet, so They have so many things where they've ADR'd characters just stating what's happening on screen yeah. while they're doing it. Yeah, like all the way through the movie, there are people saying like basically going, "We're driving a car now." Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Things yeah. like that, just Wait, to keep well, as, reminding you what's going on. As Nemo introduces the car, I call it an automobile. Yeah. And <laughs> like, it's a really like, advanced car. Like, it's got a V8 engine and yeah. headlights and everything else. And also, cars have been around for like four years. Yeah, they're not I mean, not, not like on the streets, but I mean, the invention had occurred by that yeah. stage. Yeah. Like, it would have made the, the spinning headlines back in the day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it was, it's so, it's very sort of, the, the timelines don't make sense. Mm. And like, yeah, it's just weird. Yeah, everything's old timey. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. In, but without any internal logic to it. Yeah. So they get to Venice, they have this Venice scene where they have to, I don't know, save Venice from all the bombs that... that um, but it's like half the city collapses. Yeah, it's, they barely save it. We exactly. did it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and to save it, um, uh, Tom Sawyer has to get into, into the automobile. Yeah. And and like drive, so they have a they have a, 
a, a chase. And this is when we find out, oh, we'd found out a little bit earlier that Mina's actually a vampire. She wasn't a vampire in the book. She never got bitten. Did she oh, get, no, she got bitten, she got but she bitten. got de-vampified de at the end. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I can't remember that. Was the book? Or yeah. yeah. Like, she'd, she'd never turned full-on vampire right. in, in the book. Right. Uh, she never turned, like, full-on evil, but she was like, it was like, oh, if we don't kill Dracula soon, then Mina will, like... We'll turn. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. like the, the sort of ticking time bomb, I think. Right, right, right. Well, in this, she is a vampire, but yeah. she's a good vampire and she only attacks bad guys. And, and she, she can walk around in the sun. Yeah, well, she's, yeah, she can do a lot of things. They don't even do like the blade thing of the sunblock and motorcycle <laughs> helmets or something. Yeah, I don't know what, what's the deal with that. Yeah. But she's, yeah, so she's a vampire, so she goes flying around Venice. And, you know, they, anyway, they say, but this is when we find out that Dorian is actually a spy. Mm. He's actually a bad guy um, and and he has been sabotaging them and collecting little pieces of their body because, <laughs> and to go to take back to M, his boss, because they want to create a bunch of superhumans, which is yeah. such a freaking plot that's been done. X-Men Origins Wolverine. Yeah. It's, but mm. it's so, it's so disappointingly boring. Like I know. For, for a, a movie who's conceit is we're going to throw together all these weird and wonderful characters to have the bad guys plot basically be oh we're going to make evil versions of you and then sell them on the black market to world leaders to fuel this world it's just so mundane like yeah just just pick any weird pulp villain from like that time and just go with that like just have them fight the phantom of the opera i don't care just something <laughs> like anything like in, in, the, in the comics, like, they, they had the whole thing being, like, the League had been pulled together just as a, as, as a kind of secret weapon by Moriarty because he was in a big gangland c- conflict with Fu Manchu. Mm-hmm. And it's like, at least that was kind of colourful and interesting. And, you yeah. know, you have this gangster fight between Moriarty and Fu Manchu over, like, London. <laughs> and it was, it was kind of cool. Like, I know you can't really use Fu Manchu. Yeah, I'm kind of glad they didn't go with the Fu Manchu. Yeah. <laughs> but the Can same... we stop saying Fu Manchu? <laughs> <laughs> That's the no, no one's allowed to. You're not allowed to say it on TV or you get sued. Like, oh, okay. The rights are so tied up. That's why, like, oh. they couldn't use it. But just pick some kind of villain from yeah. that era. Like, yeah, just something other than, like, this bland business drive. I know. It's, it's just... So... Then they, I don't know, they get back While on the Nautilus for the, some reason. Oh, has discovered that, that the Phantom is actually M. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then that they're going to be, you know... Oh, they, yeah, that's right. The Phantom is M. Yeah. <laughs> he just walks what? in and declares that. He goes, that. the Phantom is M. And they go, what? He goes, the Phantom is M. Yeah. <laughs> he says it twice. And then the other guy comes out and says, oh, yeah, I was killed by Dorian Gray. He's tricked us all. Yeah. And then Yeah, it's like, <laughs> he shot me and I was dead, but here I am to tell you. Yeah. Um, oh, by the way, my name is Oliver Twist. <laughs> Oh, I actually would have loved that. that <laughs> because it would have been an Oliver twist. Oh. <laughs> well, yeah, well, that's when, was... when that's when Sean goes, what a twist. Oh, no, they could have had the artful dodger. No, and his ability is oh, that yeah. he can dodge bullets. Yes. Oh, my God. <laughs> but artful I was, way. Because the Phileas Fogg name drop happens so early in the movie that you're like, okay. Let's get ready so to how many be more can bombarded. We get? Yeah, it's like, <laughs> and my friend Nicholas Nickleby mm. has had... It's just not... It's, oh, it's really, it's really I was, bad. I was guys. expecting like when they spring the prisoners from Antarctica for them to like just be like, bye, bye, I have to go back for my wedding. My name is Jane Eyre. I was like, <laughs> I'm Mr. Darcy. I was like, I don't know, just anything. Just bring them on. Just something. Just a bit of colour. I can't believe they had named characters in this movie. Like, M's assistant, who is just, like, Mr. Sanderson or whatever. They're just new characters. Like, just just make him Mr. Darcy. Just give him Mr. Darcy in a movie. But it's not, it's not Colin So, Perth. like, literally everyone in this universe, everyone that's, is... That's the conceit from the comic. Like, and that's why it works in the comic, because you, have, you can have background detail. So, if that sort of stuff annoys you or you don't get it, then you just read the page. But if you're, like, a real Victorian literature nerd, then you look at the crowd scenes and you're, like, every single person in the crowd scene will be someone. And right. it's, like, it's, it rewards people who are... And there's, there's websites that just annotate it panel by panel. And the right. amount of references they pull out, like, the little adverts on the wall, yeah. the little, like, the names of all the shops, the people, like, little snatches of conversation that you sort of see in the background. Like, everything is something. Mm. And I get that you can't really do that in a movie, but they just put a bit of effort in. It would have been, I think, a bit better. I don't know. Yeah, it's just... Uh, anyway. Then they get on the, the Nautilus, and the Nautilus has bombs on it or something. And then yeah, they, it's and, been booby-trapped by... But then, the guys, then... 
Mr. High becomes a hero. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he pulls a hatch on a sinking ship that somehow lets all the water out. Yeah, that was. I weird. don't. I, they don't really take much time yeah. to explain it. Well, the important thing is that he did something good, and you know that he's a hero now. Yeah. And then they all team up to go fight someone. And so they're not. In, they're, <laughs> they don't go now? to Antarctica. They go to like Mongolia. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Or Siberia. This is or like something? typical snow base. Yeah, yeah. Generic yeah. snow base mm. number five three one. Yeah. They re, re they reunite with uh, Skinner, for, who for some reason got. I mean, all of these details, I don't really remember what happened. Skinner somehow gets disconnected from them. Because they all they all suspected he was the mole. Yeah. Yeah. But he's not the mole. It was it was Dorian. So then they get to the, the snow base. They all they all reconnect. They, they, they get their plan together and they infiltrate um, M's space. And this is where... He makes his big reveal. It's like, my secret name is the importance of being earnest. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Um, so they... Sean, Sean Connery shoots Tigger in the snow as well. See a little tiger come oh, up yeah. to him and shoots... I think that was meant to be Tigger. I think that's one of the references. He didn't Are you shoot him, did he? A, he oh, didn't no. shoot him. Yeah, he didn't faces shoot down ticker with, with I started us. making up my own film at about this point. <laughs> Wait a minute. He, he wasn't Tigger because he didn't bounce his way there. That's what Tiggers do best. He was an old Tigger. Like Sean Connery is old. Like they're saying one old Tigger uh, recognizes another. <laughs> and then it's. One last bounce for old Tigger. <laughs> One last bounce before old Tigger shuffles off. <laughs> After a hundred acre wood in the sky. Yeah. No. <laughs> so, so they um they go into this thing like I don't know. There's like an army of, of invisible men. There's an army of Mr. Hyde. But there's, there's only an one. Army. But there isn't. There's, there's like one, one of each, really. Yeah. yeah they've got the, They've got like one. They've got the prototype box. For mm. all the stuff that he's going to take around, so like there's, so they take the one Mister Hyde tonic out of that, and they take the Invisible Man chemical mm. out of that, um, and so yeah, they, it's like the league is fighting each other just because yeah, other people yeah. have the powers. Exactly, and it's all just kind it's of it's pretty boring. But muddled. then there's a fight between there's kind of a cool fight between Dorian and Mina because they, both of them are like immortal, yeah. so they've stabbed. We're each other going much. to be doing this all day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the worst line in the movie. Oh, yep. You're better at voices than I am. Oh, I, don't, I wanna, I wanna make you say it. Uh, <laughs> I wanna hear you say it. To, all right, uh, which, which, which one are we doing? Are we doing the, yeah. All right. So Dorian Gray stabs Mina sort of through the heart-ish, like just in the middle of the chest, though. And he says, "I, uh, I can't do it. Does Dorian Gray even have a no, voice? No, really. just a posh accent. Yeah, I hope I get to nail you one last time, Mr. Potter. Mr. Potter. <laughs> uh, it wasn't quite my snake. <laughs> I hope I get. I hoped I'd get to oh. nail you one last. The time. worst thing is he follows it up with an extra explanation. He says, "I didn't think it would be literally." Oh, <laughs> and it's yeah. like you don't. We got it. We got it, man. It's okay. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, it's bad pretty lights. bad. And but then she gets up and, and, and shows him the painting. Yeah. 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 She stabs him to a wall. And then, and then shows, shows him the him. painting. Oh, she stabs him in the dick earlier. Yeah. Well, she, right, he, goes, he says like, oh, the bedroom. Does it give you memories or ideas? And she goes, uh, ideas. And she stabs him in the dick. And he goes, I'm so glad I'll regenerate. Yeah, so like, 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 yeah. I was like, I was like yeah, fair play. Go on, yeah. Stab him in the dick. Good work. Ask <laughs> Wild went to fucking trial for writing that book. Yeah. <laughs> Went to court for writing that book. Yeah. And this is what they turn it into. Like, Jesus Christ. Yep. This is his legacy. (laughs) Yep. Yep. So then it just kind of ends, right? They they defeat the bad guy. Yeah, they defeat Moriarty. He goes, I know that you're on Moriarty. Well, um, Alan Quartermain. So so throughout the movie, there has been sort of a subplot, which like Alan Quartermain's son and wife or something were were killed. Mm. And then like he... So he'd been sort of really treating Tom Sawyer almost like a prodigy or like a sort of son. They've been had a couple of scenes where he's teaching him how to shoot. And then at the end when they're fighting Moriarty, it's him and and Tom and he gets, uh, Quarterman gets stabbed in the back and then, so he can't do the final shot of, of Moriarty running away into the snow. So Tom takes the shot and of course gets him because of that. But Alan dies and says, what does he say? Something like this century, it oh, belongs to you. Belongs to you. My mm. old, my one is dead now, yeah. or something like that. Yeah. Just like me. <laughs> and then they Alan Quartermain <laughs> from a book. <laughs> and uh, and then yeah, and then they kind of that's it. They then bury him in, in his beloved in the Africa. Of Africa. Yeah. 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 Um, oh, and then yeah, that's right. We have the funeral sequence, and everyone's like goodbye, goodbye, and they walk off, and then just out of nowhere, just. 
a shaman, a shaman, like yeah, a, a medicine like, man. There's a there's a weird bit of foreshadowing really early where similar to Dorian saying like you know oh a witch kissed me and then I <laughs> don't yeah. age or something. Yeah. And then like Sean Connery also says like oh a witch doctor just told me that Africa wouldn't let me die and did mm. it gave me a blessing or something like that. And so then this guy just wanders up and seems to be doing a thing which I'm pretty sure is probably offensive. Seems like yeah, it's... <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I'm just by this stage. I'm like, oh, yeah. yeah, this is happening. Do we really so need a secret is... book? Yeah, 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 exactly. So then the, the 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 stones are shaking, and they basically seem like you're expecting a hand to come up and grab the rifle because very... they rested the rifle on the thing, but they didn't do that. Very, very, very much like the uh, ending of uh, Superman versus Batman, actually. Yeah, yeah, really similar. Almost... Yeah, blow for blow. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So that's cool. That's a that's a good thing for uh, Zack Snyder to know. Yeah. One one small thing I did want to mention about this movie that uh, I didn't realize until rewatching it this time, but Mina is played by Peter Wilson, yes, who is an Australian actor, and well, now you go. Uh, welcome to the Two Timers Club, Peter. She is in Superman Returns as the air, um, oh, like yeah, as the flight attendant oh, on that right. on that yeah. plane that goes around. Let's go. She's really familiar. I had to look it up. Two timers club. Go yeah. hang out with your two directors on the cushy velvet couches. She also, um, she also really in that third, in that third third of the film, mm. she really drops her British accent. She oh, starts yeah. off all right, and then she like fully becomes Australian. She's oh, mate. like, oh mate, <laughs> yeah. fucking got me there, didn't you? That's why she stabs him in the dick. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, she goes up to Dorian Gray and he's like, oh mid, he's like, welcome to the, my boudoir. She's like, you fucking dog. <laughs> Fucking glassy <laughs> cunt. <laughs> yeah, exactly. She goes like full the Shire. It's yeah. great. Yeah. Oh man. I think so one interesting comment you made to me during the movie when they keep I was during that point where they keep making these like they have a bit of like a measuring contest when they're all like sort of first meeting and sort of facing off against each other and you're like, have they all read each other's books? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. How much is known about like each Member. That's what it feels like. They're all like, oh, I remember you from that time that you, you know, oh, like when he's like, I hear you got King Solomon's mind or something yeah. like that. And it's like, yeah, do they all know each of each other? Have they read each other's books or something? Or are mm. they just all famous? I don't know. Mm. It's it's weird. You like, know what would have been a better, like, franchise cliffhanger scene for this? Mm -hmm is the like they're all sitting around in the in the you know the, the gentleman's club or whatever enjoying you know a nice cup of tea after saving the world and then suddenly everything starts rattling and the time machine from the time machine by hg wells just teleports into the living room yeah. <laughs> and like we gotta go back we gotta do something about your kids yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well there's a scene like that in uh, superman versus batman as well yeah exactly <laughs> we know where, where Zack snyder's getting all his material from Victorian era films. He, uh, he books. loves his Victorian he era. He does. He he loves it. Lady Chatterley's lover. He's getting yeah. into that. Like he's he loves a it. Huge D.H. Lawrence, Lawrence fan. Well, yeah. Can't get enough. Now that we're kind of finished on the film, I just remembered another Alan Moore thing I, I wanted to bring up. So he did this interview, uh, it would have been the last year or so, where he kind of got on his high horse again and he said that comics are a cultural catastrophe, I think he was the term he used, because... Thanks, yeah. Alan. Thanks, mate. <laughs> yeah, you did, certainly didn't contribute to that at well, all. Not, not the medium, but more the heroes. So it's like the fact that we're still telling stories about Spider-Man and Batman, and those are really like the products of a culture that was either you know fifty or ninety mm. years ago mm. is is stifling us, and mm. we really need to to give way. We need we need to make way for like new characters that reflect our time rather than just like grab on and like not let go of like the heroes of our parents and grandparents because it's actually going to retard the the cultural development and he had sort of he's got this whole thing about it but i did think it was interesting because yeah we're now at the stage where we can't like the, the studio system and you know the fact that it's either warner brothers versus disney yeah. means that we're not going to be able to let go of like spider-man and those yeah. heroes because they're so bankable and I was on a comics. Whoops! I was on a comics forum pretty recently. We were talking about like the changing of the guard because you know, like now Ms. Marvel is like a Pakistani teenager, teenage girl, and um, Iron Man is like a black teenage girl, and there's a the Hulk is like a Korean teenager, and there's been like this huge like uh, handing down of the mantle to like a new generation mm. of heroes. But I was like, have there been new characters introduced that are like? Their own, that are non-legacy characters. Yeah. And one of the responses, uh, like the, the only one I could think of was Jessica Jones. 
And that she was only made because Bendis wasn't able to use Jessica Drew, who was Spider-Woman. Yeah. So he just changed Drew to Jones. But one of the responders said that because of the kind of system of comics and comic book movies, if you're a writer and you have an idea for a brand new character, you don't put it in Marvel or DC. because You put it in a creator-owned work because then you own the rights to it and you can sell it as a movie. I, I, like if you, if you just put a new character in Marvel Universe, there's no incentive for a writer to do that because then they make a movie and make millions. Whereas the smart ones like Mark Miller, for example, he'll write for Marvel and he'll write about Captain America or he wrote the original Civil War. But then when he has an idea for original thing, he just does it on his own and then, then you get your kick-ass movies, your wanted movies or whatever, and he just keeps all of the cash. So there's kind of a disincentive on every level for bringing new characters in, I think which that's is just a, kind of interesting. I think that's an interesting sort of um, like examination into the, the sort of microcosm of comic comic book industries at the moment and film industries. But I, I would... I, I would I would challenge the the underlying conceit that there are new no new no new heroes anymore because that's like without sounding like a wanker like the hero myth has been going on mm. from like since literally since like the classic the ancient classics like so to say that we haven't evolved our heroes is sort of like saying like what someone gets you know someone has to overcome adversity you know has has a, has setbacks and overcomes them like that's that's the hero myth that's the yeah. hero's myth and we will be telling that story we we told it in the in the victorian times yeah. we told it in shakespearean times we told it in classical times we're telling it now just because at the moment they happen to be superheroes mm. like and we might be just regurgitating some of the same brands now who cares? Ultimately, there's not really much difference. I, we just watched the, I just watched the trailer for Iron Fist, and it was awesome. But it's like it is exactly the same plot as every other. Like you have been given this gift, now you must use it. Like hello, that's literally all of them. Raising so, Iron Fist is pretty interesting actually, because the fact that we're shackled to these existing brands that Marvel created, most of them like in the '60s, like fifty something years ago. Yeah is actually you can see a lot of the strain i think we might have talked about this before but you can see the strain when they try and adapt something like iron fist which is just it doesn't really work today because it's all about like the mysterious orient and learning kung fu from like mysterious mountain like fighting monks yeah and it's the strain is beginning to show in a lot of the adaptations because the, the old characters don't really resonate with i don't them. you I don't have think to that's you have true. to really force it to make it work. You just described like Doctor Strange. You like just described much... the Doctor Strange yeah, and the they... Batman Batman Begins. Yeah, but like... they had to force Doctor Strange so much. Like they changed the ancient one to Tilda Swinton because and they changed I don't know what they're gonna do with Wong's character, but they had to they had to really do a lot of gymnastics to, to kind of make that fit. It couldn't be a straight adaptation. Like it's it's starting to get a bit difficult trying to bring some of the old characters to life. I think that that's fi- like I think that's fine, but I was talking sort of at another level, which mm. is that at the end of the day, all these stories are the same story. Like wh- mm. whether whether we whatever characters we use and whatever sort of cultural change, cringe, and like like sort of micro changes we make to you know the odd character or the odd setting, mm. ultimately we're still telling the same story over and over again, mm. and we will be. And Alan Quatermain was that story, and Alan Moore was part of that. Mm. You know, sort of. Um, has been part of that tradition whether he likes it or not and sort of I just feel like it's very hypocritical and sort of very I don't know just sort of small minded to sort of pick the last 50 years of comics and then film and go oh look at us regurgitating the same thing it's It's very very kids these days like I don't buy it but I do think it's interesting and I think you can see some of the symptoms with the kind of industry model that we've kind of been locked into. Mm, I guess. I don't know. I, I don't see any... I, I, whenever some people go on about, like, the industry... Like, starting to criticise the, the, the comic book industry model, I just sort of blankly look at them and think, what what's different about that to literally anything else post-1970s cinema? Mm-hmm. Like, it's it's all... it's Cinema has always been multi-textual, and especially post seventies, and so whenever people think, like I don't know, I just think it's very short, short sighted to like look the last 10, 15 years and go look what cinema happened to cinema because it's been going on for well over thirty years actually, if not longer. Like people were adapting books in the in the thirties, you know, like Gone with the Wind, yeah. 
and and the Wizard of Oz were adaptations. You know, so it's it's just to me, it's just like yeah, that's what we do. We tell the mm. same stories over and over again. That's part of our part of how we. That's part of pleasure actually mm. in these texts is seeing them over and over again. So well, I, I got I just, a lot of pleasure out of Alex <laughs> G. How about you guys? So what did we think about uh, Moriarty's plan? Mm. <laughs> Look, he had two different plans. That's the problem. His first plan was to bring the world to war, and the other plan was to collect all the powers of LXG. Um, well, World War One happened, so yeah, it succeeded. No, but like he says, that's inevitable anyway. So he yeah. didn't really do that, and he didn't really have anything to do with World yeah, they, War One. They managed to delay it for fifteen years, during mm. which time apparently tanks just now exist. So that's all right. He's hey, kind of, yeah, and car and automobiles. Automobiles. So my point being, he diversified too much. He should have focused his plan, had one plan, and just stuck with it, and then it would have been fine. He could have just started World War One without forming the league, and then just made a ton of money off it anyway. Yeah, and I don't think you needed the complete league. Just kidnap the Invisible Man, strap him to, like, a Guernsey, and just do him. Just sell invisible spies or invisible assassins. They wanted to, but he's so insufferable because yeah. of his cheeky cockney... Yeah, <laughs> it's like, we cannot create more oh, than two gosh. of these. We're just going to want to kill We need to collect ourselves. a bunch of other supernatural people yeah. just to, just to like, take the edge off him being in the room. Mm. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right, well, thanks for listening to Tight's Camera Action. <laughs> <laughs> a bit of a cerebral one, as, yeah. as befits League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. And the next episode will be continuing on our Alan Moore theme. We actually have yeah. another Alan Moore adaptation, um, and we'll co- probably be referring a little bit more back to this one. So it's almost like a little bit of a two-parter, <laughs> these, this one and, yeah. the, and our following pod- episode, which will come out in a few weeks. Uh, so... Uh, plugs? <laughs> Plug it up! Yeah, sure, I'll do some plugs. Uh, I'm an improviser. You can see me in regular shows at the Improv Conspiracy. Go to improvconspiracy.com and just find out details there. Uh, you can hear me on Saturday mornings, uh, 3MBS 103.5 FM. I host Arts Weekly um, every second Saturday. And you can listen to us online, 3MBS.org.au. And my other podcast is on Australian history. Uh, it's at www.lastoptonowhere.com. I'm glad you included the www dot. Yeah. Because some people don't know to do that. Well, I listen to skew older. Yeah. So you better. <laughs> do they? Do we have the metrics on that? No, I don't think we can <laughs> say that. There's a lot of blue hairs sure. out there. Yeah. Oh, well, we love you anyway, guys. What's up, blue hairs? What's up, baby? And uh, follow Holler at us on Twitter. <laughs> follow us on Twitter at TCA Pod and um, find us on Facebook and uh, get in touch. Alrighty. Get your grandson to tell you how Twitter works and then follow us. <laughs> and then tell them about Alan Quartermain. <laughs> They'll probably remember. They probably would.